Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 99 of the show, and today we got the chance to talk with Stuart Hunter, founder and CEO of Roll Bicycle Company. Stuart talks about how a bad experience buying a bike turned into a passion centered around creating a bicycle shop that focuses on creating a customer-centered experience for all kinds of bikers, from those that are just starting out to experienced cyclists. We really think you'll enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you'll learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to Mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show, our guest is Mr. Stuart Hunter. And Stuart is the CEO of Roll Bicycle Company, as well as the founder, a bicycle store built around the idea of providing custom bikes designed and built to order for you. Uh, before Roll, Stuart spent some time in various roles, such as the creative director for Fitch, and he graduated from Nottingham Trent University in the UK. We're very excited to have him here on the show today, and welcome to Conquering Columbus, Stuart. Excellent, thank you, and uh, great to be here. Good to uh, good to hang out with you, Mike and Josh. So. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. And, and what's you know what's your day look like so far? And then maybe what's a typical day look like for you? It's always a place we like to start. <laughs> the day looks great so far. You know, it, it's always a good day when it starts with sunshine, and then it started raining. So as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, in the bicycle business, that's never a never a great uh, end to a day. But day's going going really well. Um, a typical day for me starts pretty early. Um, I like to, to be up uh, 
uh, between 5, 5.30 and uh, get a couple of hours of quiet time, get my day organized and, and uh, get ahead of, uh, of some of the uh, uh, processing of my email before uh, the rest of the family gets up. I get my boys up for breakfast, uh, which is great, make them breakfast every morning and then take them to school and then uh, head out and get into the day. What does quiet time look like for you? Is it like more of a, do you do it like meditation, reading? Is it just getting straight to work? Is there more of self time or is it straight into business when you wake up in the morning? Uh, it's a little bit of both, depending on, on, on the day. I like to, to really take that time to reflect on what I need to get accomplished during the day and to check off some of the easy things that, and, uh, and to set some of the tone and, and some of the direction for the day for the rest of the team. Um, so they can be prepared uh, for, the, uh, for the day ahead and, and I can feel like uh, I'm, I'm through and actually then able to concentrate on some of the bigger picture stuff during the, during the day. I tend to organize my days um, around uh, mornings and afternoons. So any, any meetings we try and get accomplished in, in the mornings uh, where we can have some quality kind of time and, and, and be fresh. And then I like to keep the afternoons flexible um, to, to really you know, spend time and, and focus on the next steps and the evolution for the business. So I try to get as much kind of ticked off the list early in the day so then I can spend the rest of the day kind of focusing on, on where I feel like I need to focus. I, I, I tend to run out of steam pretty quickly if I'm in one place doing the same thing for an for a extended period of time. So usually that afternoon involves a change of location as well for me, either into to one of the stores or, or to the office or, or uh, working remotely. Before we jump into that team and, you know, the family that you mentioned, things like that, everything you have going on today, um, usually the place we like to set the stages, talk about the beginning, maybe talk about your childhood, your upbringing, and then we can work in your path to Columbus and then talk more about roles. So maybe sure. maybe to start there, let's just talk about your childhood and go from there. Yep. So I was uh, born in Edinburgh in uh, Scotland, um, uh, but actually moved to Yorkshire when I was uh, really young. So I grew up in Yorkshire in, uh, in the north of England in a very small mining town. Um, called uh, Crofton, um, just outside Wakefield, and, and uh, Leeds is probably the biggest uh, kind of nearest town. But uh, pretty, uh, um, pretty uh, fun upbringing, you know. Kind of small village. Um, growing up in the seventies means that you get out and you explore, and you get kicked out of the house in the morning, and you, you get called back in at at, uh, at uh, dinner time, and you make your fun and mischief uh, in all the hours uh, between there. Um, I left uh, um, high school, I went to high school in Crofton and, uh, and then uh, studied uh, art and design at uh, the local technical college and then ended up going to university at uh, Nottingham Trent University where I studied interior architecture and, uh, and then kind of from there um, graduated and moved to, to London and joined uh, an agency called Fitch as a, as a junior designer at the time. And uh, Fitch at the, the time in, in London was really the, it was the finishing school for designers in, in, in the UK. It was one of the, and still is one of the premier kind of design and, and retail companies in, uh, in the world. And really that's where I, I cut my teeth and, uh, and kind of through design was afforded uh, a lot of opportunity to, to travel, um, both around Europe um, while working in, in the Fitch London office. And then ultimately it was Fitch that, that brought me here via South America for, for half a year, living in Peru, working with clients down there. And uh, came to the, the States in, uh, in 96. So I've been here a little over 20 years now. So I guess what I'm most curious about in that whole 
you know, from being a child up on up is kind of your different, I mean, you've lived in multiple different countries mm -hmm. and very different communities. Uh, kind of, how did your perspective change? I mean, when you were a kid, uh, let's, let's start with, you know, being a child in, in England, in a small town in England versus, you know, maybe your kids here today. Yeah. I did my perspective change. Well, we, we were always fortunate when I was young that we'd get to travel. And uh, my dad had his own business and uh, installed uh, fixture manufacturing, actually. And, uh, and so did uh, uh, quite a, a, a bit of work in, in different countries around, uh, around Europe. And so we got to travel kind of quite a bit. So, so travel has always been something that I've enjoyed enormously from, from a very early age. And, uh, and so I guess that sparked a little bit the wanderlust for me in my adult life. I was fortunate that through design, I was afforded the opportunity to travel um, on the client's time. And, uh, and so did a lot of work in, in places like Portugal and, and Spain and, and France and, as I said, uh, South America. So it was one of the, the unexpected fringe benefits of a career in design, was getting really the chance to, to see and to experience other cultures and, and other places. and. And so that's something that's really become a very strong kind of family value as part of our own family. It's something that we enjoy doing, Alice and I, with our own kids. Uh, we have two boys, uh, Jonah and Cameron, aged 11 and 14 now. And, uh, and so we've been, been lucky enough to travel with them from, I think the first time both of them were on airplanes, they were only a couple of months old. And so it's become something that's kind of an important part of their life too and, and something that I think is... is uh, I hope has, has inspired them to, to continue to travel in, in later life and, and enjoy seeing and experiencing different cultures and, and I think most importantly experiencing different perspectives from, from, from their own. And to get a little bit more granular into your path from Nottingham to London for Fitch, mm -hmm. um, for those more geographically impaired like myself, what does that jump look like? How far is that? Is that kind of a big move away or was that pretty close to where you already were? So, uh, Nottingham, so um, Crofton to, to Nottingham to University is about 65 miles drive. Mm -hmm. um, however, in the UK, that's equivalent of about a 2,000 mile drive in the US. <laughs> so, uh, so kind of, it was a uh, quite a quite a leap from from Nottingham to London. Again, it, it, it may as well be a, a different world. It's it's about two and a half hours or two hours drive. So it's a couple of hundred miles. Um, but very, very different in terms of the scale of city, the scale of, of, of opportunity and of experience. And so um, uh, for me, kind of growing up in a, in a very small village, um, it was, it was, it, there were quite seismic kind of jumps um, in, in the formative years of, of my life. And uh, I enjoyed it enormously. London is still one of my favorite cities in the world. We, uh, we were just back there two weeks ago, actually, kind of visiting and, and staying with good friends. As a creative, you know, that uh, ability to experience so many different cultures and cities and regions, I think it really helps broaden your horizons and your thinkings. How do you think it affected you personally as a creative and then your climb within Fitch? Um, do you think that was part of the reason that you were able to separate yourself and climb the ranks? Or what do you think that was about you that helped you reach your level? Um, you know, I, it's hard to say that the that it was directly responsible to the, the path of my career in Fitch. It was certainly part of part of it. Um, you know, I, I think for me, probably the biggest leap that, that I made 
um, within Fitch was actually traveling and, and living and working in Peru in, in South America. Kind of Fitch at the time had um, an incredible reputation around the world and, and, and certainly an emerging market. And uh, so we're looking back to, to 96 um, when um, Peru was just coming out of a lot of trouble with Sendero Luminosa and, and uh, a pretty uh, broken economy and a pretty broken political system and really starting to, to rebuild. And, uh, and so the chance to go as a consultant and to, to live and work down there, I was asked by the managing director of the, the Fitch London office whether I'd be willing to put together a team and, and go down and, and, uh, and, and work with a, with a client down there. And so I was 25 at the time. Um, so it was a, a huge honor. I'm not sure if I was his best candidate or his last resort. Um, but the result for me was, uh, was a very kind of sink or swim um, experience and, and uh, that I learned a tremendous amount from in terms of working with clients um, but also kind of just the life experience of, of living in somewhere that couldn't be more foreign from my own upbringing was, uh, was, was something that was pivotal for, for me and, and, it, and it, I think it brought an appreciation and an understanding that there are different perspectives and different points of view and different cultural bias that, that people bring to to problem solving and, and design, and, and, and from there it just really kind of opened up my inquisitiveness. And, and, and so then at the end of that experience, I was uh, invited to, to come out to the U.S. and help build our U.S. retail practice. Um, Fitch had uh, recently bought a company in um, Columbus called Richardson Smith, who were predominantly a product design and graphic design communications company, and didn't really have a retail practice. And, and so there are uh, a small number of us from, from the UK that, that came out to help kind of establish and build our, our US uh, retail practice, and uh, which was a lot of fun between 96 and, and 99. It felt like we were kicking ass and, and winning everything, uh, uh, which, was, which was great. And then I, I, I was afforded the opportunity to move to San Francisco and to set up our West Coast retail uh, office. And so that's, again, the next thing that I, that I jumped at. And, uh, and so, Kind of just the chance to experience those very different contexts from London to to, to Lima um, to to Columbus to San Francisco. Kind of all of them. Kind of I think helped to, to shape my kind of thinking and, and perspective, um, both on design but also on on, on life. So, Peru. Yep. S Spanish speakers there. Spanish speakers. Yep. Do you speak Spanish? Not anymore. <laughs> so I was wondering if that was a challenge, or uh, did you learn Spanish for the job? I didn't you kind of pick it up yep, while you were there. Didn't speak a lick of Spanish when I when I went down there, and uh, I uh, uh, I picked up enough in order to be able to, to get by and enjoy myself and, and to, to travel. And while in the country, one of the things that was great as well as being able to to take excursions, kind of while we were down there. So I, I learned to speak. Um, travel Spanish, we'll, we'll call it. Right. <laughs> uh, I speak French um, badly, um, and I always joke with my kids, I, I speak a number of languages, including Australian. <laughs> and to put your timeline a little bit more chronological, so you make mm -hmm. the move to Peru when you're 25. Mm -hmm. When does the move to Columbus start? 26. And then the move to San Francisco? Uh, I'd have been 29. Okay, so pretty close together. Yep. And throughout that path, do you look back or do you remember thinking like, what your motivation was and what your long-term goals at the time. Were you aspiring to lead a company or eventually create a company? 
from your, your parents' entrepreneurial path, or were you just kind of enjoying the journey and taking it one day at a time? I was enjoying the journey. You know, I, I was, uh, every new opportunity was a new challenge or a new set of skills that, that, that I hadn't um, developed yet or a new location that I hadn't had chance to, to experience yet. So for me, I, I was, uh, I wouldn't say I was just wandering aimlessly. I was, I was kind of able to use those experiences to, to step pretty quickly through a career path. Um, but uh, there wasn't necessarily a grand plan to, to, to it at that point. I think I'd always imagined that at some point I would be running and in control of my own business. That's something that I think had been an aspiration from a, from a very early age and, and I think a product of my environment growing up um, in, uh, in, in my own family. Um, but there was no... Uh, Kind of forward plan to the to, to the moves other than uh, other than just progressing in the in the career. I'd, I'd always imagined my my own business would be centered around design, and uh, and I think it's easy to, to to identify that role is a very design and creative led business. Um, but I'd always assumed that my kind of career path at that point would be in the agency uh, path, and and that clearly took a left turn. <laughs> so, from San Francisco. You yep. get to San Francisco. Can we can we kind of take our next steps there? Uh, did you come back to Columbus right after San Francisco, or kind of where did you go from there? So I uh, worked in uh, San Francisco for about three years, <laughs> and uh, and ended up uh, leaving the San Francisco office and getting recruited by uh, NCT Ventures here in town, who just purchased uh, Retail Planning Associates or RPA. And so I got recruited by the the team there to come back to Columbus. And uh, and help get that agency turned around, and uh, which we did for about three years, and then kind of ultimately sold RPA. RPA was ultimately sold to to Fitch, ironically, <laughs> and uh, which at that point was was already part of WPP, and uh, and so um, that was really my jumping off point from from a, an agency life into into an entrepreneurial kind of life and 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 founding role. So. Okay. Were you able to gain any equity in that company when you came back and recruited, or were you just working for very small amount? Okay. Yeah. So when you when that ended, you really did have to find something else and, and make sure that you kept moving. I was moving. I was, uh, I was uh, looking for a job, and uh, I had the the opportunity to continue with Fitch, and uh, continue and and, and work um, on the agency side. I think that there was something happened for me though, which was as my career continued to progress. In agencies, um, the shift there was a, a shift in emphasis, and 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 people were expecting me to be uh, um, much more interested about running and operating an agency, and that was never really where the fun was for me. The fun for me was always in the client work. Um, so the more successful you become in the agency side, the more you're expected to contribute to the to the running and, and the development of the agency. And, and, uh, and the thrill for me is in, in working with clients and problem solving and, and, and brand development. And, and so I'd reached a point in my career where I was looking to be able to sink my teeth into, into new challenges. I wasn't necessarily interested in, in continuing to, to, to run an agency or it wasn't, wasn't something I found particularly fulfilling. So you mentioned this is the point where you kind of made the jump. You didn't want to move into an agency. You said, okay, you were looking for a job. Why start a bicycle company? <laughs> so I actually started riding again when I was living in San Francisco. And, uh, and so 
a lot of travel in my early career, um, a lot of success means that you spend a lot of time on airplanes and a lot of time at dinner. So I was looking for some way to get back into some semblance of shape, and I was about 60 pounds heavier at the time, and I'd always loved riding as a kid. I, was, I was loved BMX as a kid, I rode a little bit of mountain bike in college, really got out of that and, uh, and decided that, you know, I, I, it's something I used to enjoy and wanted to get back into it. And, uh, and so I started visiting bike stores, and, and it was a, a pretty remarkable experience because I'd get one of two reactions when I walked in a bike store. I'd either get completely ignored by the snot little 18-year-old kid that worked there because I didn't look like a cyclist, or they'd look at the car I just pulled up in and try and sell me the most expensive bike in the store. And all I needed was some bloody help. And so, so that experience as a customer baffled me, completely baffled me. Having built a career on building consumer-centric retail brands for people like Adidas and Merrill Footwear and, and Best Buy, to, to be able to get better service paying $2 for a cup of coffee than I could $2,000 for a bicycle, it just made absolutely no sense. And uh, I was fortunate that riding bikes, I was able to, to get over that barrier and riding bikes became a passion for me. And, and as I continued to, to travel, around the, the US and the world, I would always make a point of visiting the, the local stores and, and, and indulging my personal passion. And, and, it, and it became pretty evident pretty quickly that as a, an industry um, or as a category, kind of bicycles are, are often run by enthusiasts for enthusiasts to the exclusion of others. So that's really where the idea for, for all started to, to percolate. And, uh, and it was something that was a, a, you know, a notebook project for, for a number of years as as uh, I got the invitation to come back to Columbus and, and start what my family call the return journey home. And, uh, and really when, when uh, we sold the RPA and uh, that was the opportunity to, to really start to look to develop the ideas around that and, and to see if there's, there's something that we could do to, to actually create our own um, retail brand and, and, and uh, story around role. So you talked about that consumer design experience that you were creating for places like Merrill or Best Buy. Yep. Um, maybe a little bit more, and I don't want to take away from Roll, but I want to use it to add to it. What were the projects that you were doing for them that then helped you to make the jumping point to create that design experience that you wanted around buying a bicycle, um, walking into a bike store, and, and partaking in the entire bike buying journey? Right, so so we, we can talk about the specifics of, of the projects, or we can talk about the, the way that we approached work kind of at Fitch and, and, and at RPA. I think for, for me, the, the, the most fundamental thing is, is the style of work was based around understanding consumer needs and customer experience and trying to anticipate pain points and trying to anticipate how can we connect customers to brands and to products in a way that is more enjoyable, more visceral and, and more kind of tangible for people. So, so um, really for, for all of the work that we did started with the, 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 the customer first. Um, backtrack, it, it started with a, with a, a business need. And, uh, and so we would concentrate on how do we solve that business need from a customer um, standpoint. Um, so, so that really that mindset is what helped inform and, and allow us to develop role in a much more cu customer-centric way and start to think about, well, what are the things that, um, that are pain points in the bike buying experience for customers and, and, and how do we overcome them? Were you focused more on your personal experiences at first or did you go out and collect market data? Kind of how did you, 
how did you decide how you're going to build role? So the, the initial uh, the initial uh, data was very personal. I was just another pissed off fat guy trying to buy a bicycle, and uh, and so that came to a very quick realization. I can't be the only one that, that's mad about this, and uh, and so that very quickly kind of um, turned into into some pretty kind of deep kind of market driven data and, and analysis and 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 you know it's uh, it, it was pretty interesting as a as a category at the time um, bicycle kind of retail um, looked at customers in a very linear way and almost like that that evolution diagram that you see you know from from tadpole to human where you have non-cyclist to cyclist and uh, and so what we were able to do is start to, to explore around psychographics a lot more and to understand not what people ride, but why people ride and start to develop our own um, segmenting around types of customer rather than necessarily just looking at frequency of rider. Um, the industry had worked out, some boffin in, in Boulder, I think it worked out that if you ride 100 miles a month or, or kind of 3.8 times a month, then you are an enthusiast and you're worth $986 in, in annual spend. All of which is probably true, but none of it really kind of gives any insight into how to um, attract more people to riding. One of the things that, that has really become fundamental for me is, is, is this idea that we have at Roll that bikes change lives. And, uh, and it fundamentally changed my life. It changed my approach to health. It changed my approach to wellness. It changed my approach to community. It changed my career. And, uh, and so understanding with that as a starting point how do we how do we think about you know, the role that bikes can play in uh, in creating life change for for others and and, and in communities, which um, has really become something that I'm passionate about and, and drives a lot of what we do in the business. That's an interesting insight and approach to the situation because I think that um, I'm not a cyclist myself, but I think that I could be persuaded with the right approach to go straight from not interested to extreme enthusiast and wanting to do it at a really high um, intense level. Yep. So I think that there are a mix of people in between those degrees and it seems like you guys kind of pinpointed those and noticed them. I'm interested to hear from the beginning to today, how is the customer experience, first how was it developed and then how has it evolved to what you guys are doing today? So the, the customer experience was really developed around four or five core customer types. And uh, so I said earlier, we did our own segmentation. We started to, to develop um, customer groups that, that I just felt were, were being either underserved or ignored, or I think probably more accurately, they just weren't being recognized in the, the industry. So we talk about um, um, family fun seekers as a category of uh, cyclists and uh, when I use that term a lot of people in the industry look at me like I'm mad but what we're really trying to, to, to capture there are families that are looking to try and spend quality time with one another um, as opposed to screen time as opposed to kind of indoor time that, but they're looking for a way to, to engage as a family and to, and to create those kind of memories um, that uh, I think inform all great families. Um, we talk about social collectives as a as groups of people who are looking for the opportunity to spend time together, and those social collectives could be groups of buddies who are looking to for a uh, for a physical activity so they can go and feel good about drinking beer together afterwards. Um, those social collectives could be rallied around a cause like Pelotonia, um, which is uh, a, a greater mission. 
um, but social collectives and understanding the, the dynamics that drive those groups. Um, we talk about enthusiastic dabblers, which, Josh, it might sound that, that you would fit into that kind of category, somebody that's able to fall kind of hard and deep into, into just a, a joy of the sport and of the equipment and of the analysis and of the... Uh, of the uh, um, um, the, the ceremony of, 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 of bikes. Um, so, so in identifying those kind of groups, kind of I've always tried to, to, to talk to our team and to inspire our team with the idea that okay, we're, not, we're not interested in what people ride. I think first we have to try and understand why people ride. And if we can understand why people are riding, then we can usually equip them to, 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 to achieve those goals. And for me, kind of my initial foray was, was health and wellness. That's really why I wanted to get back into it. I wanted to, 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 to lose some weight and get into to, to better shape and take better care of myself. And, uh, and for that, it's grown into, into a, a passion around riding mountain bikes and racing mountain bikes. And, uh, and, and now I'm, I'm older and my family are, are older. I feel like I'm, I'm transitioning through all the groups you identify kind of in our store. And, and so the best riding I do now is, is, is usually with my kids. And then from the point that a customer walks into role, what's the approach to analyzing their why? And then how do you take them to their journey to acquiring the perfect bike for them? So uh, we, uh, we try not to start at the bike um, is, the, is the short answer. We, we have a very specific training program in our stores called Rolling, which uh, gives our team the tools to engage with a customer and start asking those why questions. What is it you're looking to achieve by riding? Kind of where is it you want to go? How, and, and rather than starting asking a customer what kind of bike are you looking for? And, uh, or how can we help you? What we're trying to do with those first initial probing questions is try and understand what the end goal is. And oftentimes a customer kind of isn't there yet. But through that conversation, we're able to, to start to elicit some of the things that might be kind of longer range goals for them. And, uh, and start to, to, to build solutions around there. One of the things that we do in store, which is a, a huge help in that process, is our role perfect fit approach. Um, so we, we, we fit every customer for every bike that we sell in the store. And, uh, and the, uh, the system that we use um, um, takes several body you know, measurements, does a full, actually a full 3D body scan, and from there we're able to calculate body geometry. And from there, we're able to fit to any style of bike. And through that scanning process is really where we're able to interview customers and, and start to understand a little bit more about what those, what those motivations are currently and where they might go or where they've been and where they want to go from here. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, <laughs> full body scan for a bike. I remember, you know, when I was a kid going out to pick out a bike, it was, oh, hop on, has a feel. All right, see you later. Like, yep. Uh, so how do you, I mean, when have you seen a lot of response to the, the different style of selling a bike being more personalized touch from for your customers? I mean, are you getting the good response you expected? We have, yeah, you know, and, and what what we have found since day one, it is the most valuable um, with the novice rider who's perhaps never either been fit for a bicycle before or um, has kind of gotten out of the, the, the habit of riding and so, when we, when we use our, our, our tools, it's completely non-invasive. It's very quick. It doesn't involve anybody getting your hands all over you, so it, it's, it's not intimidating. And, uh, but it's a really interesting process because what we're able to do at the end of that process is we're able to get the customer on the right bike for them. 
And, uh, and not only is it the right bike, it's the right fit. It's, it's tailored for them. And there's this magical moment that happens where the customer stops looking down at the bike and they start looking forward and enjoying the ride. And I can, and I can see it whenever that happens. That I know that we've done our job correctly because now they're excited about riding and not nervous about buying a bike. And that really is, 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 is pretty special um, to watch. So, so it, it, for, for most um, either returning or novice riders, it, uh, it's a pretty great experience. I mean, a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, often don't realize that bikes even come in different sizes, that they can be adjusted in, um, to, to fit them and, and to suit them. And so, so you know, it, it's great to be able to share that knowledge and share that education. I think with, with any category of retail or, or hobby, you know, even, um, kind of people who, who aren't familiar with it kind of often come to us with a fear of making an expensive mistake. And what we see that translate into kind of um, often is, is a customer may go to a mass merchant um, or a specialty sporting store and buy a, an inexpensive bike to see if they like it first. Um, the problem with that is, more often than not, the bike isn't necessarily um, a great quality or a great ride experience. Um, it usually isn't set up correctly for them. Usually doesn't fit very well. So they ride it once or twice, it hurts their ass, they decide that they don't like riding bikes and they're done. And it goes in the garage and, and that's kind of, we lost them at that point. So we, we, we um, spend a lot of time and pay a lot of attention to making sure that we're engaging people into actually how fun it is to ride and and almost removing the bike from the equation. And once I get tailored fit for a bike, how many different verticals can I fit in? Is there um, BMX, casual, um, elite performance? Am I missing any in between there? Or am I totally off point on the approach that you guys would take once the tailored fit is complete? We can fit you into to any vertical as you described. And so what we're going to do is is from from our discussions about where and how and why you want to ride we're going to point you in some directions and uh, and we're going to point you to to a style or a category of bike that is going to not just work for you now but we're going to look to have some some growth and some opportunity for that in the future i think that, that one of the things that's really interesting for me is is often we'll get customers into the store um, that start as novices or new riders and then very quickly their passion either migrates or grows. So it's not unusual for us to, to find somebody that's just getting into road riding and perhaps their motivation is the company Peloton is, is, is getting involved in, in Pelotonia. And they come in, they engage, they, they find out they really like riding, they like the camaraderie of it, they're interested in trying mountain biking. Or they find that their, their, their family are interested in also getting involved. So kind of it, it sparks a passion, I think, within 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 people um, so and then the reasons why people ride change over time I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, a great example of that you know, my uh, my start and entry into into riding bikes again was riding city bikes around the, the streets of San Francisco I very quickly got into mountain biking I got into a, a style of mountain biking called the uh, single speed rigid mountain bike so no gears no suspension um, as stupid as you can get really and uh, and then my family came along, and and now my my uh, passion has almost come full circle. I enjoy riding the city with the kids, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. 
What does the future look like for you guys? Um, kind of maybe we could set the stage and say where you're at right now and then where you guys plan to go from here. So it's, uh, it's interesting because Roll as a business was founded as a brick-and-mortar reseller of other people's products and services. And, uh, and so we're going back uh, 10, 11, 12 years now when we first founded the business. And uh, a couple of things are happening um, which are really shaping and, and setting our direction going forward. Um, the change in retail uh, at such an electric pace has, is, is both riveting and, and, and a, a, uh, an incredibly intensely scary roller coaster <laughs> um, to be on, to see how retail has changed and, uh, and omnichannel uh, retail has, has changed um, over the course of our history. Is, uh, is, is having a dramatic effect of where we go now. Um, also seeing how manufacturers in our industry are also seizing those opportunities to be able to go direct to consumer. And so traditional brick and mortar kind of retailers or resellers in our category um, are under an enormous amount of pressure as, uh, as the way that customer shop changes around them and the way that suppliers um, in the industry start to also change and morph, morph around them. Um, our response is is really to 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 take control of our own destiny, and 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 that's really where Roll Bicycle Company came from. And so the evolution, about three years ago, I woke up in a cold sweat and realizing that that unless we're willing to change and embrace um, and follow our, our customers, then uh, then you know very quickly um, what we do will become stale. And so both a, a very uh, scary <laughs> kind of realization, but an exciting realization as well. You know, I, I describe Roll in its current state as a ten, as a startup ten years in the making, and that's really what it feels like in the business. The, the chance to to reinvent ourselves and as a as a vertically integrated um, retail and uh, manufacturing company is is something that that is is thrilling. And and what do you think the biggest challenges ahead will be as you kind of push the company towards that vertical integration, where do you think uh, you're going to have to spend the most time to make sure there's success? I think the biggest challenges are in how do you, how do you grapple evolution versus revolution? And so we built a successful business around brick and mortar retail. And, uh, and now we are really full steam ahead into our transformation into a bicycle company. And it's really making sure that we don't undermine ourselves in making that transition, that we're able to, to both be responsible from a business standpoint and make sure that, that uh, we continue to, to, to respect our roots, which is one of our core values in the, in the business, respect for our roots. Um, but but be very clear about where the end goal is for us, which is, is, is as I say, is our, is our own um, vertically integrated brand. So. What about personal goals? Is there anything outside of, you know, role as a company that you have planned for yourself in the future that you have a strong vision for? I mean, obviously, family is an important focus. Is there anything else that you kind of focus on personally that stands out? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I think we, like most People, I have you know those those um, annual goals of kind of be a better person, 
kind of be a little more in shape, do the, do all of the things that I think kind of fall into the resolutions category. I think the biggest goal for me though has really come about through this transition of our business, which is how do I move to the next stage in my own abilities as a leader? And uh, for 10 years now working within role, it's been an exciting kind of journey. But now as we pivot in the business, it's a real impetus for me to look at how I continue to grow and evolve as a leader within that business. And, and, and so I've been doing a lot of work over the last year about how to, how to, how to tackle those things and, and uh, become uh, part of um, a great group called Vistage. I'm not sure if uh, you guys are familiar with it. It's a CEO peer-to-peer kind of organization, which has really been a catalyst for, for a lot of that personal development and, and growth for me. And I think this is a great time. We're going to pivot kind of towards one of our last questions of the show. Uh, it's centered around the theme of Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without telling you too much about what it means to me and Josh, uh, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life? Uh, what does live uncomfortably mean to me? I think it's, uh, it sounds like a scary term, but it's, it's, it's a set of words that actually quite excite me. Now, the idea of live uncomfortable is something that I feel like I've embraced through my entire career, which is just a willingness to experience new things and have new experiences and unfamiliar experiences, and whether those cultural experiences or, or experiences in the workplace that, uh, that are kind of new and fresh and challenging, and, and it, it's pretty exciting for me. Um, living uncomfortably for me right now really is centered around kind of my own kind of work and development as a leader and, and, and becoming much more vulnerable and, and much more kind of open with my team and, and, and with my peers. Um, it's, it's a tough thing to balance, I think, as an entrepreneur. And on one hand, you're expected to have insight and vision and direction and unshaking confidence. On the other hand, um, the ability to, to be very open and embracing and willing to admit shortcoming and seek help and advice is, is, is a tough thing to balance. And, uh, and so my own kind of version of living uncomfortably right now is, is kind of grappling with, the, uh, with kind of being more, more, more vulnerable in my, in my work career and uh, which has certainly kind of created opportunity to be more vulnerable in my, in my personal relationships, and, and I'm seeing a lot, of, a lot of reward in that. Well, Stuart, I think that's a great answer, and uh, we'll wrap up there, but thanks a lot for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. It's been, been great. It uh, went in some directions that I, uh, I really enjoyed, so I appreciate the, the toughness of the questions, guys. Yeah, and, and Conquerors, we appreciate you guys listening. That's Stuart Hunter, founder and president of Roll Bicycle Company. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode, learned a lot. We will talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. 
And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.